Okay, we're going to be in Micah 7 tonight. If you open your Bibles there, please, to Micah chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 to 13. In Micah 7, 7 to 13, it says, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her at the time she will be trampled down like mire of the streets. It will be a day for building your walls. On that day will your boundary be extended. It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the Euphrates, even from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. And the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word tonight, and we thank you for people who have come out to partake of it. We pray that you would use this time to minister to our minds and hearts, and we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a tough deal living in this world. There's no question about that. If you have any spiritual wits about you, you are appalled by what you see and by what you hear taking place in the world every day. Frankly, it's depressing. The headlines I read just one morning this week, and that's all I'll look. I'll look at headlines. I don't even spend a lot of time doing that because it just is too depressing. But the headlines read, political leader accused of election interference. Political leader has taken bribes and needs to be impeached. Climate activists are on a warpath for fear-mongering death warnings. Justice Department intentionally misleads Congress. And spending on mental health has risen 53%. You're thinking, well, that's happy news. That's interesting to read. And God's people read that, and they're just sick about that. Things that are going on right now are things that are certainly indicating we're not people committed to the Word of God and to the things of God. And you see that pretty clearly here. What you also see, if you're committed to God and His Word, is you're not honored in this world. People don't care what we think or say. We're not getting a bunch of calls from leaders who say, now what does the Bible say so we can make decisions that will be consistent with the Word of God? In fact, if you actually think in terms of what does the Bible say, for the most part, you'll suffer some type of criticism and some type of attack. Now in the first verses of Micah chapter 7, Micah described the kind of world in which he was living. He couldn't find any righteous fruit anywhere. There were no godly people. There were no upright people. There were no straight men, as the text said. The world was being governed by godless, ruthless leaders who were corrupt liars and cheaters. And it's like Micah saying, who in the world can I trust anymore? I look at the religious leaders. I can't trust them because they don't seem to be interested in what the scriptures say. I look for godly leaders. They're gone. I can't even find godly people who take the word of God seriously and apply it to their lives. I look at political leaders, and that's just a quagmire. 
of thorns and thistles in which they're making decisions looking out for themselves. I look to the judicial leaders and they're in cahoots with the political leaders so that you have a lot of corruption that's taking place there. And then I look at the economic leaders and they're involved with all of those political and judicial leaders. They're forming a web that basically is contrary to the word of God. And then he said, I look at my own family. I can't trust my neighbor. I can't trust my friends. I can't trust even my own children. So who do I look for? Where do I look to find some sanity in this? Where do I look to find some type of help in this? And Micah said, I found the answer. The answer is you look to God. That's the one you trust. In a world that's falling apart, you look to God. And in this passage of Scripture, Micah gives us a look at how he coped with all that. When he saw a world that was just bizarre and berserk, and Micah says, what I did is I learned to trust God, look to the Lord. In corrupt, evil, immoral, God-mocking, God-hating, Bible-hating world, we need to keep looking to the Lord. We need to stay loyal to the Word of God. And we need to keep communicating the truth of God to the world. Now back in World War I, President Theodore Roosevelt rebuked German-Americans who had divided loyalties. What President Roosevelt said is America is not a polygot boarding house. If a man is an American and something else, he's not an American. And that's what Micah was seeing. He couldn't find anyone who was loyal to the God or to the Word of God. People were pretending to be worshiping God when in fact they weren't even right with God. They weren't even serious about the Word of God. And that's what Micah saw. Israel was in a land surrounded by enemies, Assyria and Babylonia to the north. Egypt was to the south. And as Micah went through Jerusalem, he found that the whole nation was being led by people who were corrupt. Nobody was serious about the word of God. They were being threatened as a nation, and no one was taking God and his word seriously. So there are four points that Micah communicates in these verses that he wants us to understand when we are going through difficult times. And the first point is what Micah will do, verse 7. But as for me... And I want you to notice in verse 7 the personal pronouns, I, me, my. He takes this person. As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This is real personal to Micah. Micah is living in a world he takes it personally. We go back to this verse because this is the key to how Micah lived his life. In view of the world falling apart, in view of the evil treachery that was in the world, that he described in the first six verses, Micah says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep my focus on God. That's what I'm going to do. He kept his faith looking up. You know, Mr. Miles used to say that all the time, keep looking up. In fact, I just read an interesting thing from Frontier. Every year they have a theme that they govern the school year by, and the theme that they've chosen this year is the one that he used to teach, keep looking up, keep looking up. That's what Micah said. That's the only way I can look. It's the only place I can find any security or hope. I have to keep looking up. When you find yourself in a corrupt world, you only have two options. You can give in to some negative pessimism for the rest of your life. Most people will do that. Most people will give in to negative pessimism for the rest of their life. Or you can positively trust the Lord. You can positively trust God. And that's what Micah said I'm going to do. Micah said I'm going to invest my life, spend my days for the Lord, trusting the Lord. I'm not going to find any hope or help in this world. I'm not going to find any hope or help in looking at this world. I'm going to find it in a focus on the Lord. Now that is an important point, ladies and gentlemen, to grasp. Because this is the key to survival for Micah. It's the key to survival for us. 
We are not going to find great hope and happiness by focusing on the crud of this world. You will find your greatest happiness focusing on the creator of this world. You focus on your relationship with God. That's how you survive a world that is going evil. Now, there are three wills Micah personally mentions here in verse 7 of what he was going to do while living in a world that was being dominated by those that were corrupt. He said, first of all, I'm going to expectantly watch for the Lord. Verse 7, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. Now, some of the people of God in these times have misread that verse because when it says, I'll watch expectantly for the Lord, what they think it means is I'll watch the news expectantly. <laughs> I'll turn on the news and watch that expectantly. What do you think you're going to see if you turn on the news and watch that every night? You think you're going to end up happy? No possible way. Micah said, I'm not going to look at that. What I will look to every day expectantly is to the Lord. Micah found his coping power from heaven. Micah knew the word of God. He knew the covenants of God. He knew that God had promised the people of God some wonderful future benefits. A day would come when they would flourish and would be blessed of the Lord. Micah said, I'm going to keep my sights right there. And that's what you want to do, ladies and gentlemen, in times of evil. You don't want to be watching the news. You want to be watching for the Lord to return. In fact, the Lord Jesus used this very imagery when he was talking to the nation Israel in Matthew chapter 24, and he taught that you need to look for me to come and come back and take over the world. That's what you need to be looking for. Watch for the Lord. Don't watch the news. The second thing Micah said he'll do is I'll patiently wait. For the God of my salvation. In verse 7, I will wait for the God of my salvation. Micah said, I actually expect that God's going to deliver me. I actually expect God's going to save me. Now, there are multiple types of salvation in the scriptures. You can have, for example, a salvation that's a temporal salvation from a difficult situation that you may find yourself Micah knew that there would be times when we would find ourselves in difficult situations. Micah found himself in one at the present time, and he said, I expect God to deliver me from that. But you can also expect God to deliver you spiritually and spiritual salvation and then in eternal salvation. So Micah said, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'm looking at a world that is totally corrupt. You can't even trust your neighbor, can't even trust your family. You can't trust the political leaders, the religious leaders. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep my sights on the Lord and I'm going to trust my God because he's my refuge and he's my hope. Then he said, I'm going to persistently pray to the Lord. In verse 7, my God will hear me. That's really what faith does. It talks to God. That's the thing we need to do more of. Personally, privately talk to God. You look at a world that's going bizarre and you just talk to people. You talk to other people, they're just as depressed as you are. That isn't going to get us anywhere. What really can bring us out of a rut is by talking to the Lord. And Micah said, I'm going to talk to God about things. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to lay out my situation. I'm going to lay out what is happening. I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to intervene and come to my rescue. And he personalizes God. This is my God. And I'm talking to my God in the midst of these troubles and in the midst of these trials. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the kind of faith we need in God's people today. We don't need a bunch of God's people talking to each other about the news and our rottenness. Because you're going to hear that every day. What we need is more of God's people talking to God. And when you think about it, when you look at a corrupt world, what are your options? What are your options as a child of God? 
You look at the news, you see it falling apart, you see the things that are becoming evil. What are your options? Well, I can live as some paranoid, depressed person for the rest of my life. That's what I can do. Some paranoid, depressed person for the rest of my life. Or I can live with a confident trust in my God and trust that at some point God's going to come and intervene and he's going to turn things around. Like I said, that's what I choose to do. I choose to watch for the Lord, wait for the Lord, and pray to the Lord. Now, a second communication point is what Micah's enemies should not do. He says in verse 8, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. Now, the me that is used as a pronoun in this verse is more than just Micah because it's a feminine pronoun. So Micah is actually including Jerusalem and Zion in this. And God's people do have enemies, and God does permit those enemies to exist for a while. He uses them as his agents to accomplish his chastising work. God is sovereign over even the negative stuff going on in the world. He called Nebuchadnezzar my servant. Nebuchadnezzar was a godless idolater, ruler of the Babylonians that came in and did brutal things to his people, but God called him my servant. Why? Because God was using him in carrying out a chastisement against his own people. And one of the most difficult things to take when we're experiencing some negative things from the hand of God is that our enemies can tend to mock us. They can laugh at us. They can laugh at our faith. They can laugh at our situation. Well, if your people are so right with God, how come things are so lousy? They do that kind of thing. The fact of the matter is, when David fell, enemies rejoiced. They got a good laugh about it. They were all joking and all laughing at him. And that's what can happen when something goes wrong. When we warn them that God is going to settle the score soon, that God will intervene and come to the aid of his people, they don't seem to take that seriously. What they don't realize is it's a fatal mistake for the enemy of the people of God to rejoice and gloat over the fact that at the present time, God's using those corrupt enemies to accomplish his purposes. But when he's done using those people, he's going to come and make them pay a severe price. And Michael will make that very clear in just a minute. When people start mocking God-fearing, Bible-believing, Christ-promoting people, they don't realize what the outcome is eventually going to be. The outcome eventually is going to be God's going to track them down. He will use the negative things to develop his people, to teach his people to trust him more, to teach his people to talk to him more, to turn to him more. He'll use negative things to allow that to happen. But then when he's done using those people that he's used for that purpose, he said, I will track you down and you'll pay a high price. Which brings us to the third point, what Micah's enemies need to know. Verse 8. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Now there are two facts that the enemies of God's covenant people need to realize. Fact number one, enemies need to know what will happen to God's people. You know, Satan loves to see God's people fall and fail. He gets a good laugh at that. And people that are doing his bidding, they get a good laugh at that. And there are things that happen in the lives of people, God's people, where they fall. 
They fall into trouble. They fall into trials. They fall into sickness. They fall into sin. There are moments when they fall. Well, God's people do experience some negative things in life. But there are four realities that Micah says these people need to understand. Number one, if a child of God falls, he will rise. That's what he says in verse 8. Though I fall, I will rise. And Micah's personalizing this. I think he's speaking for the entire nation. He's speaking for Jerusalem, but he's also speaking personally. It could be that he had fallen himself in some way, shape, or form. I'm not certain about that, but there are many commentators say, oh no, Micah didn't. But when I read carefully down through this context, it would appear that Micah may have stumbled in a moment, and he himself was realizing the conviction of what he had done. But he said, I will fall, I will rise. There's certainty, but there's also speed. And take a good look at what is said here, because you can expect this to happen. You can expect to see this. At some point, God is going to bring his people up out of miserable circumstances. You can stay the course, stay faithful to the Lord, and watch him do it. The second reality is if a child of God is in darkness, God will be his light. He says in verse 8, Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. No matter how dark things look for the people of God, no matter how dark things look in the world in which they're living, you can expect the light to shine again. Why? We have God's word on it. God is not just going to provide the light. He said, I am your light. I am the light. I will intervene in your world. I will make it light again. When people are not right with God and they go into darkness, they're never going to get out. When people not right with the Lord get in darkness, they're there. They're going to be there all the time. But when God's people, a child of God, he goes into dark times, he'll get out of it because God said, I'll come get him. And we know that one of the ways that God certainly does that is through the Word of God. I mean, God's Bible is God's light book. Just as the psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So if a child of God is in darkness, you can expect God will be his light. The third reality is if a child of God seems to be experiencing God's indignation, it is deserved. I think verse 9 is just incredible. He says in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me out to the light. I will see his righteousness. Why were God's people going through such dark times? They had sinned. And they hadn't dealt with it. That's why. Why did God allow this nation to go through the terrible dark thing she was going through because she had sinned. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is a major problem to the nation Israel. It still is a problem tonight. And it's a major problem to individuals. They will not admit that. They will not admit they have sinned. In fact, the nation Israel is still, in many ways, not in a right relationship with God because she will not admit we killed the Son of God. We killed the Messiah. She won't admit that. But God says that's the reason why I allow my people to go through dark things. And this is such an important thing to see. In order for God to bring about his blessings, people must take responsibility for their action. If we're ever going to expect God to shine light on us as a nation and on us as individuals, we have to take responsibility for our sin. We have to face it. We have to confess it. We have to deal with it honestly, and we have to deal with it in integrity. And people of God 
who will be greatly blessed of the Lord, they'll have no problem being honest before the Lord. They'll have no problem going before the Lord and realizing I deserve this judgment. I deserve this chastisement. The fact of the matter is, no one will ever experience God's grace deliverance until one is willing to come to terms about the fact that I'm going through this because of my sin. And what's real interesting about this is the weight that Micah sensed about this in verse 9 there. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against Him. Now it's one thing to realize I've sinned and I'm in this mess because I've sinned. That's why I'm in this disaster, because I've sinned. That's one thing. It's another thing to actually realize what I've done is I have sinned against God. I've offended His righteousness. I've offended His holiness. I have sinned against God. And what Micah does here, after seeing the destitute condition and corruption, he was to go before the Lord and said, you know what? We deserve this. We deserve this. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't question God. He simply says, I've sinned. I deserve what God is doing. What was his sin? None of our business. None of our business. Our business is our own sin. It's just like when Daniel was praying for the nation and he said, we've sinned, Lord. And then he said, I was confessing my sin. And people go, well, what was Daniel's sin? None of our business. Our business is our sin. God's people need to understand that when we get the chastisement of God, we deserve it. Do you think this nation deserves the blessings of God? No way. No way. We have sinned as a nation against God. We've made mockery of God. We've taken God out of schools. We've taken His Word out of schools, prayer out of schools. We have made a mockery of God. God doesn't owe us blessings. Fact of the matter is, I'm shocked he continues to put up with us as long as he has. What Micah does here is he doesn't blame the Lord. He doesn't start questioning God. Why, God, are you allowing this to happen to us? Why is this going on? How bad is this? He simply says, we deserve it. God, we've sinned against you. And people who are right with the Lord, they have this sense about things. They have this honesty, they have this integrity, they realize what God is doing, but they also realize what God is capable of doing if they'll come to terms with truth. If they'll finally come to terms with what the chastisement is there for, if they will come to terms with why God has sent the chastisement, he can lift the chastisement. Micah is not sitting around wondering, why did these negative things happen and poor me? Micah is not sitting around whining and complaining. He's acknowledging this comes from the sovereign hand of a sovereign God, and we deserve it. You know, if there's anybody who could have complained, it would have been Jesus Christ. If there's anybody that could have legitimately complained about things that were happening to him, because he didn't deserve it, if anybody could have complained, it would have been him. And you know what he did? When he found himself in a moment where he knew that he was at that real critical moment where God the Father was turning his back on God the Son because he was taking the full brunt of our sin and the full brunt of the wrath of God, he talked to God. didn't talk to others, he talked to God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the one who can say that because the fact of the matter is he had never sinned. He didn't deserve any of that. But then he went on to say, 
Your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. Micah said, I realize why this is happening to us. I realize why things are so negative right now. We're the problem. God basically is getting fed up with wicked powers. He's getting fed up with wicked people. He's getting fed up with sham religion. He's getting fed up with all of the things that are not happening, that are consistent with the word of God. And God is never going to lift judgment until people admit the truth. And you know, the Lord Jesus said that to the entire nation of Israel. She still hasn't admitted it tonight. The Lord Jesus basically said to Israel when he shut the program temporarily down with her as a nation, he said, your house is desolate and you're not going to see me again until everyone in this nation cries out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, what he's basically saying is you're going to have to come to terms with what you did to me. And then you're going to have to admit it. And when you do admit it, then we'll lift the judgment and come back and take things over. Which brings us to the fourth reality. If a child of God is being chastened, he'll be brought through it and out of it. At the end of verse 9, he will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. I want you to take a good look at verse 9 and what God promises to do here. If you're an honest person who does honest business with the Lord, he makes you a promise. I'll bring you out of darkness, I'll bring you into light, and I'll develop you in my righteousness. So if you find yourself tonight going through something dark and you know you deserve to go through it because you have messed up, you get to God, you get alone with God, admit the truth just like Micah did, you can expect God will do that for you. God will bring you out of darkness. He will bring you into light. You'll see his righteousness take over your world again. That's what Micah saw. That's the reality. The second fact is enemies need to know what God's going to do to them. But Micah doesn't stop there. He said, this is what God's going to do in regard to us. But Micah says, I want you enemies to know what God's going to do to you in verse 10. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her at that time. She will be trampled down like mire in the streets. Enemies need to know what God's going to do to them. I mean, God uses godless people that are emotional and irrational as a chastisement against his own people when they get out of sync with him. The sovereignty of God is involved in all of it, in selecting people that he even allows to govern his own people who are ruthless and godless. But then he says, you need to understand what he'll do to them once his people have dealt with things. And there are two realities that he brings out. Number one, he'll let the enemy see the deliverance of his people. Verse 10, then my enemy will see. They'll watch. I understand Micah to be saying God's going to actually allow these people to see it and stand in awe of what God is doing for his people and there will not be one thing they can do to stop it. He will let those people see God is blessing them. Secondly, he will cause the enemies to be ashamed. In verse 10, and... The shame will cover her who said to me, where's the Lord your God? They basically were telling the people of God, where's your God? If your God's on his throne, how come your nation's so corrupt? How come things are so bad if God's sovereign? Maybe your God's abandoned. God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll turn this thing back around for my people. I'll raise up my people in front of them and they'll be totally, completely ashamed of what they said to their mouths. They'll be ashamed of the fact that they treated God's people disrespectfully. 
They'll be ashamed of the fact that they did things that were evil against the people of God, and they said things that were evil against God and His Word. They'll be totally ashamed of themselves for what they did, what they said, and how they lived. And then he said, God's people need to know what He's going to do for them. And verses 10 to 13 are encouraging. Micah, in verse 10, says, Then my enemy will see. Now let's keep in mind, Micah is praying. He said, I know God's going to hear me. And he's praying that God would answer his prayer and deliver his people. And what he predicts is going to happen here is amazing. What he says God's going to do for the people of God. Number one, God will permit his people to see their enemies trampled. That's what he says in verse 10. At that time, she will be trampled like mire in the streets. God says, I'm not only going to trample your enemies, I'm going to let you see it. In other words, when I turn the righteous light back on for my people because they're coming to terms with truth, I'm going to let them watch what I'll do to the enemies. They don't have to do anything. I'll take care of it. I'm going to wipe them out. I'll let my people see it. Secondly, I'll cause my people to build and expand. Verse 11, it will be a day for building your walls. On that day will your boundary be extended. Now the walls, it's an interesting word. It's typically used for barriers that were put around vineyards. And so what he's basically saying is, You'll discover you're going to have total security in everything you do. You'll be secure. And then he says, I'm going to expand the boundaries of your land. Now, I want to give you some perspective of the land boundaries that God has promised to give to the nation Israel. The first promise of land dimensions is given in Genesis 15, 18. And God said, I'm going to give you land that starts at the Nile, goes to the Euphrates. So you're basically starting at the northern part of Egypt. You're running across the northern part of Saudi Arabia, and you're going clear to the Euphrates River. Then from there, he says, I'm going to give you territory to the north that will run far up as southern Turkey. So now you follow the Euphrates River up clear north till you get to southern Turkey, which is above Damascus, and you get way up to the north. And then he said, I'm going to bring you back to the Mediterranean. So the Mediterranean Sea is going to be the west coast of the dimensions of your land. Israel has never had that. Never. In the days of Solomon and David, she didn't even have half of the dimensions. What God promises Micah here is there has come a day when that boundary that I promised you in the book of Genesis will be extended to hit every one of those dimensions. You'll have all that territory. The day I come and the day I turn the light on for my nation, I'm going to gather that nation and take them to this wonderful place of blessing. And then he said, thirdly, I will bring many nations in the world just to honor them. Verse 12 says, it will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria, the cities of Egypt. We're talking here about two of the big nations who've been enemies of Israel for years. The Assyrians, of course, were coming from the north and pretty much attacked Israel to the north. And then you have Egypt that came from the south and the Egyptians were enemies of Israel. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually take those nations who've been your enemies and I'm going to bring them to you to the point that they're going to see I'm blessing you and they're going to come wanting to see you just to be with you because you have the blessings of God. At the time it happens, he says in verse 13, the earth will be desolate. So we know this has tribulation ramifications. This will occur at the end of the tribulation period, just when Jesus Christ returns in all of his glory, because that will be the moment when the nation Israel will finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what do we do here in this dark world in which we live? Don't watch the news. That'll get you nowhere but depressed. Keep looking up. 
look to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Ask the Lord to turn the light back on in your world. And you'll see Him deliver you. Salvation is from the Lord. Don't ever forget that. It's from the Lord. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the precious Word of God. Forgive us for times we have... We've been caught up with the crud of this deranged world. That's just a wrong focus, Lord. Thank you for Micah, who saw it clearly and accurately. Thank you for his integrity. I pray we would be people who would have that same kind of integrity, Lord. And I pray you bless our fellowship time to follow. Bless the food that's been prepared. Thank you for the people that came tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.